0: gonna do with our children what are we gonna do to show we care how are we gonna be there for our children when they feel that life has just not been there
1: Good evening and welcome back to Mask's Weekly Radio Show on Family Matters. Mask, mothers and fathers aligned saving kids, kids of all ages and all stages for all mental health struggles, including addiction. If you know someone that needs a referral for an inpatient or Outpatient Program, a parent support group still by Zoom available, please give us a call 718-758-0400. I'll repeat the number. You may want to jot it down for yourself, a loved one, a neighbor, so, and you usually would sit next to in shul. our number. Remember, all calls are strictly confidential. Our number again, 718 758 0400. So, every week, I'm really excited when I have my guest on, and all of them have been really working with families of MASK for so many years. So many of my colleagues have been there for all of us. But I do want to say there is one gentleman and who has been on our show several times, and it's always so nice to have him on because I remember when I started mass 25 years ago that he was just coming into this uh, partial, shall we call it, And today, he is not only a therapist, he is not only an author, he's not only a podcast host, he is also involved in a new program, an inpatient program that I want him to tell us about. And that is Menachem Posnensky. I'd like to welcome you on once again. Thank you for making the time I don't know how you have the time with all the things that you're involved in to help call grow:
0: Oh, thank you, Rahama. Thanks for having me. I really, really uh, appreciate the opportunity to be here. It's great to be back on the show and uh, to have an opportunity to share uh, A, some of what I've learned um, in the work that I do, uh, particularly working with individuals that are in treatment and post-treatment for substance abuse and trauma and uh and also to uh talk about the great projects that I'm that I'm that I'm involved in including this newest project called Genesis
1: well it's wonderful having you on again and we were talking about treatment for people that go inpatient and i really you know want to speak about the consensus seems to be the longer you're in treatment the better so firstly, I want your feelings around that, please.
0: Yeah. So I mean it it's a funny question because like obviously you always want to hedge your bets. You know, and the longer somebody has treatment, the the better it is. Uh one of the challenges when you involved in a treatment orientation is like it just everything goes so quick, you know, four weeks, twenty-eight days of treatment, you know, whether it's the the clinicians or the the patients. You know, the early phase can feel like, oh, my gosh, this is going on forever. But but usually by the time you get to week three, four, five, six, and if it's a 60-day program, you're just like, I can't believe this is over already. That's crazy because you're just opening the door. So, you know, that general consensus tends to be right. But there is there is a different part of it. And uh, part of my, my attitude and perspective on that is influenced by my, my work in the living room, which is a, a Jewish recovery clubhouse. We have four branches uh, around New York, uh, working with individuals that are coming out of treatment. And one of the things that I see is that one of the challenges that comes up with uh, individuals coming out of long-term treatment is that they become over-institutionalized. You know, they get so used to, their recovery becomes so linked to kind of being in a comfortable cocoon of support that when they come out, it's it's almost... Impossible or extremely difficult for them to reorient themselves back to to life, uh, to living with their families, but also just to the triggers that go along with being at you know being in the outside world. So one of the ways in which the treatment world has kind of leveraged that is by creating you know different levels of care. Um, but you know, someone being in a treatment kind of orientation for 18 months is not always feasible. Meaning long-term inpatient and then uh, supportive living house and then a a step-down house from that with intensive partial hospitalization programs, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, one of the things that we have to think about when we're treating people is, you know, is not just that the more treatment, the better, but the right amount of treatment that's going to give this person the best chance of of establishing what is a long-term sustained recovery, which means a real lifetime recovery, Um, because there's no shortage of people that go into treatment and then um, turn around and just, you know, have zero result out of it. Two days out of treatment, everything they gained was gone. Um, And really what we want to do is help people, you know, build something that's sustainable for a lifetime. Thank you.
1: So, you know, Menachem, people really think that they go in twenty. I mean, people that are just, you know, parents that are just looking into programs, Or their loved one, A, they're, you know, saddened that the child needs to be put into rehab. They're also not very educated on it. And one needs to be an educated consumer and ask the right questions. Yes. But they also, many parents feel, okay, we'll send them away for 28 days and they're going to come back healed. Right. Um, You know, so let's talk about the process of treatment and recovery and what happens, please.
0: Okay, so, yeah, that's a great question. I really appreciate the question. It it demonstrates your uh, your awareness. I mean, obviously, MASK has been on the cutting edge of this, of helping these populations for years, and the Jewish people is very fortunate to have them. So, yeah, you know, it's, you know, I mean, partially the the lack of awareness by family members, but also sometimes treatment centers, who are either unaware or like think you know need to justify the, the the intense cost of treatment frame like those early interventions. Let's say like a 28 day program as like a, a real solution to uh, to someone's problem. But in in actuality, I think you have to assume that any recovery process from the beginning phase of crisis all the way to a place of You know having established a sustained baseline of recovery you're talking about like a good 18 months an 18-month process now i don't think that an individual needs to be in acute intensive treatment for 18 months obviously not right and obviously hopefully that phase as i said before is as little as is necessary in order to give the person a chance of long-term success because the longer they're in treatment intensive treatment the more institutionalized they are the the, you know, the less chance they have in terms of long-term. But but you want to give them enough treatments that they can transition from that place of crisis, intensive treatment, which is usually the first phase, and then phase down the treatment supports to a level where they can be at a place where they've established a baseline that's sustained within that 18-month process. And usually that includes not just addressing the underlying um, addiction piece, Right, which is their physical dependency on drugs and then also their emotional, psychological dependency on substances and cross addiction that occurs where people, you know, they address one layer of addiction, but then they become attached to another layer of addiction. But then also trying, beginning at least to unpack the underlying traumas that play out. And this is an area that a lot of people make huge mistakes in. They think, oh, I'm just going to go into a 28 day program and I'm going to address my trauma you know a 28 day program can only begin to scratch the surface of what's going on with people's trauma introducing the idea of trauma unpacking where a person's trauma is and even just getting them to a place where they're comfortable with the fact that trauma exists in their lives and that it has had an impact on them but the true path of kind of really addressing and getting to the and and really healing uh, a trauma in somebody's life is a, is a process that plays out over time you know and there is no quick fix solution and there's no there's no universe where someone goes to a 20 day program and then they're fixed and they come back and everything's okay usually that's if someone comes back from a 28 day program feeling like they're fixed that's usually a very bad sign you know they, hopefully they're coming back with a measure of humility and their family members are receiving them that way that they've begun the process that they've they've gotten a great head start on uh, on a journey that's going to transform their lives uh, in all sorts of ways hopefully all for the positive um, and um, and that they're committed to that and that they're willing to see it through, you know, walking through all the different components. There's inpatient oftentimes, and then there's intensive or outpatient or PHP, which I mentioned, which is kind of like a thorough all-day treatment program that many people end up in. And then there's outpatient programs where people are getting groups a couple times a week along with therapy, and people can enter the continuum of care at any point along that way. And then there's just standard weekly uh, bi-weekly talk therapy, and then there's, of course, 12-step uh, supports, which are very, very critical for individuals in recovery. I'm, you know, number one fan, the 12 steps, uh, and that's a key component also towards establishing long-term sustained sustained recovery. And then there's also all the other components that go along. Most people don't end up in addiction without some other layers of underlying challenges, be it mental health or executive functioning or, um, you know, cognitive Lim- limitations um learning disabilities there are many different components to unpack when somebody's trying to go from a lifetime from a life of addiction to a life of recovery so
1: let's bring up continuum of care um, it's important that people understand uh what happens once they are discharged so yeah. can we speak about that please
0: yeah i mean at- in in a great treatment treatment facility you know the last you know 10 days to 2 weeks of treatment are really not focused anymore on you know addressing underlying traumas or dealing with what's going on in the clinic but really preparing the person to leave and that means creating what's called a discharge plan and this is something that's woefully lacking in many treatment centers and it's really the earmark of a great treatment center a good discharge planning team but really to to You know, when a person leaves treatment, they want to walk out with a really comprehensive and you um crafted plan for them to be able to continue their recovery, which usually entails their you know filling their treatment needs, feeling meeting their treatment needs, meeting their uh, therapeutic needs, meeting their recovery needs, uh, meeting their spiritual needs and working out the logistics like where they're going to live which is oftentimes a huge va- variable and the continuum of care has to do with the individual that's in treatment and their treatment professionals and the people that they're being discharged to have a sense of you know what they're doing what the trajectory of their care is and what their goals are you know where they want to be in a year from now in 6 months from now in 3 months from now you know and usually you know the continuum of care or the process of care, the process of recovery, takes those kind of, uh, you know, uh, that takes that kind of frame. It's so the first three months uh, of post treatment, and then three months following that, getting a person to six months, and then really trying to get to a year. You know, reaching a year of abstinence or a year of healthy living of recovery is definitely something a good goal uh, for any individual. It definitely gives them a leg up on establishing that baseline and, and building a chance towards lifetime recovery.
1: So. Let's then go on to how long, um, somebody goes in patient, they come out, you said 18 months. Tell us a little bit about the living room. How, so, how that is helpful in recovery and how long somebody participates there.
0: Right, so I mean the eighteen months is i mean hopefully no one's in, in treatment for eighteen months, but the right. you know that part of that continuum of care let's say you know most treatment programs are let's say you know many are let's say three months to six months um and in the phase where somebody's coming home they have they have a variety of needs now, some of those needs are being met by their therapist uh or the the outpatient program that they're part of that's their their clinical needs uh they have recovery needs re- needs for their recovery support, and that's generally hopefully being you know, supported in their, you know, in their recovery program through their 12-step work and their 12-step supports. Uh, then there's lo- logistical needs. You know, there's housing needs, there's financial needs, you know, and those are either being filled by their family or if they're joining like a uh, a residential program, like, uh, you know, the living room, which I run as part of an organization called Our Place. And, and one of the divisions of Our Place has a series of homes in Muncie, which are a place that many, many young men... Uh, end up in after treatment, so there's something like that. But one of the things that happens in that process, particularly for young people, meaning 18 to 35, they're coming out of treatment, is that those are a lot of very kind of disconnected pieces. And there's a lot of vacuum space between all of those things. Like, what is a person a part of when they come out of treatment, and who's present with them to make sure that all those different other components are working together, and, uh, and flowing well together, and that, they, and that the individual feels like they can be a part of something. You know, I mean, any human being, right, any, any uh, you know, observant Jew at any level of, of, of religious observance is part of a congregation, and the congregation fills all sorts of needs. You get spiritual guidance, you get support, you get a, being a sense of community, you have a place to go and be a part of, and in many ways, the living room is that, for individuals that are coming out of treatment it's a it's a it's a home it's a family it's a place that people can be a part of it's not meant to to replace their actual family but it's a place that they can be a part of participate visit get support get encouragement when they have a hard time when they encounter a tough time you know one of the things you find with individuals in recovery is that they often in the early phase that we talked about that first 3 to 6 months out of treatment there's generally what we kind of frame as a crash there's a moment of Kind of real inflection and, and and oftentimes emotional pain, and then there's usually a point later on, um, after eighteen months, usually within the first five years, where they also kind of come to a certain uh, moment of an inflection point, and those points are usually because the result of unaddressed either trauma, oftentimes, or just un un kind of supported mental health challenges or other liabilities, and and those points that three to six month point and that 18 month to five year point for people's recovery usually why people relapse and the living room is kind of situated in order to give people a space um, to be uh, a community to be a part of but also to be supportive to people in those moments of of crisis so that those moments of crisis don't become points where there 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 is a relapse a a full relapse because relapse is Tends, is, is a common part of recovery, but a relapse completely from recovery, where the person becomes so far disconnected from the recovery that they they really lose all the progress that they've made to be able to catch people either before the relapse or right after the relapse, and then be able to step in and get them the help and support that they need. And the living room is a program that's that's designed specifically to try to do that. And what what has happened over the last Twenty years, eighteen years, uh, in the living room is that we've shown very, very specifically that when you give individuals in recovery who want to get well, subtle um, but you know professional support that's not necessarily treatment, they have a, a very, very good chance of success. The kind of success rates that people are used to in recovery are nothing in comparison to the kind of you know successful lives that thank God we're seeing, which I wouldn't give. The living room credit for it's just the individuals themselves are having success because they have the support that they need they have the the encouragement the support the inspiration and the guidance they need to go from a place of abject brokenness to a place of real life success
1: thank you and and i think it's very important we speak about the family you know their loved ones come home And they're struggling because they've been in a uh, program, and now they come back into the world, into their home, for many. And I, I want you to explain why it's so important for family members, while their loved ones are in a program, that they too should be in a program.
0: Mm. So there's really three different frames. Um, that you have to think about when you talk about the family in the context of what you're saying which is what is the work that the family member has to do when they're loved what is in treatment so the first is you know you know it's extremely difficult and painful you know you don't have, you know I don't have to share with you you know all too well with the work that you do um, it's extremely painful and difficult to live to love somebody to live with and love somebody who is in active addiction uh, or you know related correlated mental health challenges it's draining it oftentimes um inspires tremendous layers of codependency and it kind of disorients people from the normative kind of frames of interpersonal relationship and it's really it's critical that family members figure out how to disentangle themselves from all of that recapture their sense of self within the relationship And relearn skills for how to be in a relationship with an individual um, who's dealing with an addiction. And that kind of has three phases. There's the way in which you interact with the person while they're in treatment, which oftentimes meaning stepping back and taking the focus acutely in your life on a day-to-day basis off of them because they're in treatment and they're being taken care of. And begin to unpack and learn how to take care of yourself. Begin to learn how to advocate for your loved one but really give space for them to to uh, excel in the treatment program to stay on top of and to make sure that they're being treated properly but not to really get in the middle of it and to really listen and follow the advice of the treatment professionals and to be in an observing space and that's kind of the first most important component for families to to begin to absorb and to learn uh but also to take a moment to step away from that crisis orientation and feeling like you you have to save your loved one and to remember that you put them into a treatment program and now it's time for you to kind of reorient yourself back towards a healthy place you know to step away from triage and begin to kind of really get into like a long a more long term context the The other component that comes into like family members is figuring out your role in all of this you know you know obviously. You know, it's not anyone's fault that their loved one develops an addiction. I mean, sometimes it could be, but but for the most part, it's not their fault. But there's definitely a contribution that's made, particularly when you have like an intense codependency relationship that's created to be someone that's addicted and their family member that the family member is an active participant in. Meaning as difficult as it is to 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 pull oneself out of a codependent interaction with an with an addict, only a only somebody who allows the codependency to take hold ends up in those circumstances so a big part of treatment is learning to refocus not only to step away from that triage moment of panic but also to begin to unpack your own part in that in that stuff your own feelings about it how does it feel To find out that your loved one is is an addict or struggling with addiction? How does it feel to find out that your loved one has trauma? What are your feelings about their trauma? Maybe their trauma is related to you. Maybe their trauma is something that you took for granted uh, and you didn't realize how serious it was. Maybe you're skeptical about their trauma. But to really begin to unpack your feelings about those things and to learn strategies for uncovering your own tendency to fall into those codependent patterns. Because if you don't do that work while the individual has gone, when they come back, you're just going to fall right back into those old patterns. And then literally, you'll like give them a much less chance uh, of having success. You know, Because if you're stuck in the codependent pattern, you're going to invite them to, to jump into the codependent pattern. And that is one of the strongest triggers for people to relapse, being in codependent relationships with, with loved ones. And then finally, the final step is once they come out, which is learning how to establish an entirely new relationship with somebody else and not leaning on the old relationship patterns that you were used to, you know, where there you have to be able to acknowledge that there's somebody who's dealing with a challenge and that requires tolerance and patience and kindness and love, but also a reminder to kind of watch out for those patterns of codependency and unhealthy enmeshment that will only give them less of a chance of success and learning how to really manage yourself. I have to say that, you know, as an individual who works with, you know, hundreds of individuals in recovery, maintaining your own sense of equanimity uh, around yourself and not getting lost in other people's problems, you know, and any, really any mental health professional will, 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 will tell you this, is the hardest part of the job you know so it's not an easy thing i don't take it for granted what it means to be the parent of someone coming out of treatment but to really take that on and to be willing to to uh uh to to do the best that you can to give the person that you love the best chance they can have for success and these are all things, everything we're talking about is really kind of the the, the the thoughts that we have behind this new program that we're developing in Genesis, which is an inpatient program and also has an outpatient component for Anglos that are living in Israel, to really create uh, an environment that's based on these principles, uh, that's based on kind of comprehensive support, um, method, me- um, program, uh, you know, support that's, that's rooted in evidence-based clinical interventions, uh, rooted deeply in the 12 steps, and also rooted in our our Jewish spirituality. And that's why I'm so excited to be working on all these different projects.
1: Um, Menachem, can we speak about the genes also? Some people um, do have, you know, some are children of alcoholics. Can we touch on that for just a light moment, please?
0: Right, the, the family background yeah so so you know it's uh it's, it's an interesting thing to kind of think about there's definitely a fi- family correlation between you know uh, you know alcoholism tends to stick to st- alcoholism addiction tends to stick in families and, and that might be true for you know that might be true as relates nature and it might be true as relates nurture and it seems to be true across the board meaning living with an alcoholic tends to inspire at least some of the people uh, to that interact with them to be alcoholic or addict, uh, and also you know there tends to definitely be kind of genetic orientations. You know I think that I think that individuals that have a history of addiction and alcoholism in their families definitely have to be. I think they have to be cautious to not um, to not force that or burden, uh, let's say, children with that too much. Uh, and to give them their space to have their own experience, but also to remember, just like, you know, any predisposition that people have, any medical predisposition that people have, um, people have to be cautious about that and um, and to be cautious in and around their use of substances. You know, if a person has a family history of addiction and alcoholism, I don't necessarily think it has to mean that they might they should never drink but they definitely should be more careful than other people drinking in particular we've had many conversations about drinking i think even on the show you know it's something serious and it could be something very meaningful uh, particularly in done in a, in a religious context but but it it's very serious and it could be extremely dangerous uh particularly for somebody with uh with a family history background uh in any way either as i said based on you know their genetics or just based on how they you know the the kind of uh, patterns that have been established in their thinking based on their upbringing
1: well, oh, thank you so much for coming on again it's always wonderful having you and I hope you can come on in the future and continue all these important topics to offer to the crowd thank you
0: thank you so so much for the opportunity thank you for everything mask does and thank you for the privilege to speak to you once again
1: thank you and I want to wish everyone a very good evening a beautiful Shabbos and always remember. Hang in, hold on, and for now, still virtually, hug tight. If you know someone that needs a referral for an inpatient or outpatient program, please give them our number, 718-758-0400. Thank you. Have a good night. Have a good Shabbos. Tonight's show is in memory. Thank you.
2: Hi, I'm Dr. Vossen, the city's doctor. It's that time of year again for your annual flu shot, And with COVID-19 still around, it's just as important to stay up to date with your COVID-19 vaccinations. COVID-19 and the flu have similar symptoms like fatigue, body aches, headache, sore throat, congestion, and runny nose. And both can make you severely ill. So if you have symptoms, it's important to get tested for COVID-19 and flu to know what to do next. The new Stronger COVID-19 booster and the annual flu vaccine are available at doctor's offices, pharmacies, and vaccination sites across the city. So why not save yourself some time and get both shots together? It's safe and effective. I did it, and I'm glad I did the time to get your COVID-19 booster and flu shot is now. For more information on flu, visit nyc.gov health flu. And for more information on the COVID-19 vaccine, visit nyc.gov covidvaccine COVID vaccine.
1: Do you have a loved one with dementia? Are you feeling overwhelmed as a caregiver? We understand it can be difficult to know the best way to care and communicate with our loved ones with Alzheimer's, especially as the disease progresses and safety becomes an issue. We invite you to meet with our team and learn more about kosher memory care at the all-new Esplanade of Woodmere, a Sharf family community. Our community respectfully serves those with Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, or other types of dementia in a dignified family environment. Our Montessori-based program helps residents live purposefully and with as much independence as possible. Schedule a tour today by calling 516-712-6500. That's 516-712-6500. Or visit esplanadeofwoodmere.com.